Luke chapter 6, we're picking up where we left off last week. We'll be starting in verse 27. Let's begin with prayer. Lord, we are so thankful. We are so thankful for you. We're thankful that you are a God who, who inspires us, who is open to us, who responds to when we open to you. Lord, we, we know that you will come to us right now. We know that you will come and fill our hearts, Lord, that you will inspire the words that are spoken, that you will inspire the readings of Scripture that have already been read and that will be read. And so, Lord, we wait, expecting you to visit our hearts, to open our minds, to help us, O Lord, to receive you. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Luke chapter 6. Would you stand with me if you're willing and able for the reading of God's word? Beginning at verse 27. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting without expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure that you get back. This is the written word of God for the people of God, we say. Amen. You may be seated. (laughs) How impractical. (laughs) Am I right? I mean, Jesus is kind of bad at math. He doesn't seem to know how the world works. I mean, if he knew how the world worked, he'd give some, some more reasonable instructions for us, I think. Like, love your neighbor. That's reasonable enough. Let's stick with that, Jesus. That's a safe place for us. Love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. And, and worst of all, turn the other cheek. In this financial climate, how impractical. Double your losses, Jesus preaches. Double your losses. He's bad at math. Jesus prescribes this as the method for changing the world, for turning the world upside down. If someone takes something from you, give them more. If someone borrows something from you, don't expect it back. Give to everyone who begs from you. Everyone who begs from you, he says. How impractical. 
Last week, we read from the verses just before these. If you were with us, you'll remember that Jesus is in the middle of his Sermon on the Plain. That's what we call it, the Sermon on the Plain. And, and you know, you'll remember Matthew's records this sermon. Jesus is on the mountain and he's speaking to the people. People are, are waiting to hear from him. But Luke, in Luke's memory, Jesus first, before speaking to his disciples this great sermon, he comes down off the mountain and he walks among them on the level plain, on the level ground. He's on a level plain within reach of those that are around him. They're on a level plain. He tells of a great leveling that the kingdom brings while he's on this level plain. He expands on his mother's words from her time when she was bearing him as a baby. The mighty are brought down and the lowly are lifted up. Blessed are the poor and woe to the rich, Jesus says. The revelation, the epiphany of God in Christ continues in our text. It continues in this part of Jesus' sermon on the plain. The great leveling, the reversal of the way of the world, the outlining of God's new creation community, the morals of resurrection life are revealed even further to proclaim that enemies, enemies are on the same level as friends. Treat your enemies in the same way that you treat your friends. They're on a level plane. Jesus proclaimed that on this level plane, a great leveling will happen in our world and is happening when people choose to follow his way of doing things in the world. In our passage this morning, we begin to learn about how impractical this is, though, when we really put it into practice. He continues his sermon that is directed to his disciples with the crowd waiting around him. What's so impractical about this, though? Why is this so impractical? This is the way of Jesus being laid out for us. We should be able to do this, right? There are keys. These are the keys to the kingdom, right? That we sang about earlier. These are the demands of the Christ follower as plain as day on the plane. And they are about as difficult to put into practice in this world now as they were in Jesus's time. Maybe even more difficult to put into practice since Jesus said these words originally in our world, which is ruled by markets that that look a little different. That look like there's only a little bit. There's only enough for a few. We're taught to collect and accumulate. We're taught to hoard and, and work and save almost as a Christian principle. It's almost a principle for us. This is what a good person does. A good citizen collects and hoards and takes and climbs the ladder of success. And Jesus calls us through the people, through the pages of his gospel, he calls to us. He calls to us through history. Despite the powers and principalities that rule us, he calls to us. It's almost a yelling. No, don't fall prey to that way. He calls us out. He calls us out of that way. It's almost a yelling. No, do not get misled by that way. This is not the way to life. That way is not your home. That way is the way to live, to live abundantly if you're only living in the way of the world. Abundance is not found there, though. True abundance is not found there. Why is this? Why is it that the abundance that the world prescribes, that the world sees, is not what Christ offers? And why is it so alluring to us? Why is it so tempting? What makes it false? Jesus comes as a signpost, a demonstration, an image of the invisible to point us a different way, to point us into a different way of living. When he speaks, it seems so impractical, like he's pulling our leg. <laughs> Pour out, not in, Jesus says. While the world sometimes with a much louder voice says, Pour in, 
Not out, you fool. That's why the way of Jesus seems so absurd to us. We're in this building about once a week, maybe twice a week for some of us. Maybe every, some weeks we're in here three times a week. We at most have a couple hours a week where we are listening to the words of Jesus. And we act out and worship together as God's people. The rest of our week we're out there. We're being fed a different story. A story that calls, to, calls us to collect and accumulate and only look out for ourselves. To hoard and exclude. To ignore the others. To destroy the enemies. There's not enough for everyone. There's not enough. Get yours before someone else takes it. There's not enough. There's just not enough. Once a week, though, we gather here. We gather here together to hear a different tale, a different story, a, a story of a different way, a story that tells us to pour out and live generously, to give anything and everything, to include and love. One hour of that story versus the rest of the week of hearing the other story. One hour to be formed by the story of Jesus and many other hours to be formed by the story of the world. One hour a week to unravel all of the formation that's taken place the week before. That's why this way of Jesus can be so difficult. These kingdom keys can seem so impractical and out of reach. This is why in other places Jesus calls this the narrow way. It's the narrow way because it's difficult to stay on. Because the world is screaming at us from both sides of that narrow way to get off. Our formation by the world is powerful. It's gripping on us. The way of sin can grab hold of us. And when we think about really applying the principles of the kingdom in our lives, that imprisonment to the way of sin can seem like a supermax prison. There's no way out. Living generously, Jesus tells us, that's the way to abundant, true, real, eternal life. While the way of the world, the way of sin, the wages of sin, is death. Not just death at the end of your life or afterlife, but death here and now. Not true living. Death as in not really living. Death as in imprisonment to the way of the world's way of fear. The wages of sin, that is the way of the world, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. How? Through Christ Jesus, not just Christ Jesus. Now, we, we hear that and, and we apply that, Lord. But, but what we need to understand is, is it's deeper than that. It's not just, I believe that Jesus existed sometime in the past, right? I believe in Jesus. When we say that, we are saying that we believe in the way of Jesus. The way that Jesus gives us. The way that he outlines in, in these, this text and the way that he lives for us. The way of The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus and through everything that Jesus does, through his way of living. The way of Jesus is laid out here in this sermon in, in Luke 6. The kingdom keys are laid out for us here. And upon hearing this, we might think that this is just too impractical to really adopt as a lifestyle. And so we try to spiritualize these words of Jesus We try to twist them or ignore them or focus on something else that Jesus says. We may even try to twist them in such a way that we can make more sense in our worldly way of living. But Jesus is whispering through the pages of the gospel. No, don't get distracted by the idols. Don't get misled by the way of the world. This is not your home. This way is not your home. This way of living is not the way to abundant life. At the heart of this. 
at the heart of this way that Jesus is laying out for us, that Jesus lives for us, this way that we come here once or twice a week to be shaped into is the very heart of God. Jesus lists all of these things. He lists these things in this passage, the right, but right there in the middle, in verse 36, he tells us why. He tells us why these are principles of God's ways. He says, be merciful, because that is how your father is. Your father is merciful. Another translation might say, be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. Pour out, not in. Why? Because that is what your father does. Pour out, not in, because that is the very thing that Christ reveals. Pour out, not in, because that way is the way of God. While the gods of Romans, the gods of Greeks, the gods of the Canaanites, Zeus, Baal, and other false gods that we are tempted by, like the gods of the market and the corporate ladder, they demand their subjects pour in, hoard, subjugate, and dominate, while the God of Jesus says something quite different. This is all, according to Jesus, rooted in the very character of God. Be compassionate as your father is compassionate. At the very heart of of this text is the heart of God's character. The very being of God is grace and compassion pouring out into the world. This is holiness. This is perfection. The way of Jesus is laid out for us disciples very clearly And it is a way that is the true character of God, compassion, grace. The character of God that comes in Jesus comes as a signpost. Jesus says, this is the way. He's a demonstration as well. He lives his life in that way. He's an image of the invisible. When you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, as he says in John's Gospel. And last week, as I quoted, Jesus is what God has to say. I can't help but think of that Christ hymn in Philippians 2. It says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, as something to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He poured himself out. He took the form of a slave. He was born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. He pours himself out. This isn't just what God says. This is what God does. It is God's character to pour out. So what do we do then? How are we to live this in this world? As the prophets would say, you know what the Lord requires of you. You know, O mortal, what to do. The prophets in the Old Testament, they're able to say this because the people knew the law. The people knew what was called the Torah. I'm sure you've read the law in the Old Testament, those first five books of the Bible. Those first five books are the law, the the, the way for them to live, the way for the people in the Old Testament to live. The purpose of the law, God's instructions for the people, was not just to see if they could follow directions. It wasn't just to see if they could stay obedient, but it was specifically obedient to this way, obedient to these particular laws, so that whenever they lived and they they followed in these ways, they would not only receive life themselves, but they would become a light for the nations. They would become a balm for the brokenness in the world. That's why God gives these laws. That's why God gives this way to the people. And Jesus comes to offer the same thing for us in a new way, a new way of living through him and in his way, not just so that we can get some reward, not just so that we can have life for ourselves personally, 
but so that we might be a part of God's bringing life into the world. So that we might be set free, not just for ourselves, but for the life of the world. What Jesus lays out for us in this sermon on the plane is not just a list of practices to see if we can follow instructions. The whole sermon is a principle of living. They're principles for us to live by. All right, I just want to make sure if you're still with me. Um, the, the next part of this, this sermon is really important because I want, to, I want to clarify these are principles that Jesus is giving. All right, they're not just simple laws, but they're principles for us to live by. If we take what Jesus is saying too far, if we take it kind of too literally, we can misunderstand him, actually. For instance, uh, verse 29 has this shocking or should I say striking commandment that says, if someone strikes you on the cheek, offer them also the other. I want to be clear. Jesus is not permitting violence. He is not permitting us to stand by passively in the face of violence. He is not saying that those who are in abusive relationships just need to remain in those abusive relationships, turning the other cheek. No, Jesus is offering a principle, a way to live. He's not saying to passively allow yourself to be abused. When he says that if someone takes your coat, that you should give him your shirt as well. Jesus is not saying that you should remain in relationships where you are taken advantage of. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying that all of his followers just need to be doormats. And he certainly isn't saying that his followers can stand by if they know that someone is being abused. Instead, the principle of turning the other cheek is a middle way. It's a middle way. It's a narrow way, but it's a middle way. A narrow way, for sure, but a middle way between violent response and passive response. It's a middle way. One pastor who I heard talk about this principle of turning the other cheek explains this middle way. He says that just to think about the culture that Jesus was in, think about the close-knit community that that was required to live in this time. Let's say here at this church, the close-knit community that we have at this church. If someone slapped you in the cheek, someone that's right sitting next to you, one of your neighbors slapped you in the cheek, and you turn the other cheek, What's that going to do? You think that they're going to, I mean, maybe they will slap you if they're very deprived and deprived. But ultimately what's going to happen is you are going to have straight up shamed them. I mean, think about this. If someone here in this community demanded your coat and you took off your shirt, you're standing in front of them half naked. Who's the shame on? Who is the shame on now? You have stood up in the face of someone demanding something from you who has, who has given, who has, who has purported violence onto you. And you've stood up to them by saying, okay, if that's the way that you want to live. There's no shame on you for that. There is shame on them. And the hope is not just for them to be shamed or for them to feel bad or guilty, but for them to change, <laughs> for them to change the way that they are living. For them to change the way that they go about life. It's kind of like what Paul says in Romans 12. Paul is explaining a similar principle here. He says, if your enemy is evil to you, return their evil with kindness. And by doing this, you will heap coals, burning coals on their head. Now, Paul's not saying that we should violently throw coals on people's head. He's saying by being kindness, by by being kind in return from evil... 
You are like heaping coals on their head. Think about that principle. The hope is not just to shame that other person, but the hope is that they will change, that their heart will change. We are not standing passively by as people abuse us. We are hoping and praying that they will change the way that they are living. What Paul is saying in Romans 12 and and Jesus is saying in Luke 6 is that 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 the judgment part of this, the the hope that they will change, that's up to God. The vengeance, the, the, the judgment, both Paul and Jesus refer to this. They say, leave that part up to God. Do not return violence with more violence. Do not turn, return evil with more evil. Jesus is not living, giving a way that allows evil to continue. That's not what turn the other cheek means. He's not prescribing passivity, but rather he's giving us a middle way, a narrow way of living, standing up to injustice and violence and evil. Standing up boldly in the face of violence and evil and hoping and praying that their heart will be changed as a result. Jesus explains that when we live in this way, great will be our reward. And of course, when we hear Jesus speak of reward, we think of heaven as we should. We should think of heaven when Jesus talks about reward. A great reward waits for us. But I don't want to limit it to that. I don't want to limit it just to what happens after life. I want to say that what Jesus means when he says great will be your reward is that not just that if you give and and then you'll get that back. Or, you know, sometimes we might twist it to to mean that, you know, if I give this $20 to the offering plate, I'm going to get $100 whenever I get to my car later on. I don't think that that's what Jesus is talking about, though. I think that's still following the way of the world, right? Pouring in, hoping that by giving something that we'll get it back and maybe double No, I think that that is still following the way of the world. That is still trying to live into the world's way of understanding abundance. What Jesus means when he says great will be your reward is not based on the world's understanding of rewards. One writer puts it this way. The great reward we receive is not full pockets, garage or self-esteem, but we what we become in the process. Who we become in the process The great reward is who we become along the way when we live in this way. Because that is life. As long as we live according to the patterns of this world, we remain in prison. Holiness of heart and life is not just about avoiding sinful things. It's about being transformed and changed so that we can engage the evil of the world, the brokenness of the world. We can stand up to it and in the face of it, hope and pray for change. Of heart. We sang that song earlier, Glorious Freedom. Glorious Freedom, to be free from sin, to be free from sin, to be free from the patterns of this world. Glorious Freedom. And it might just seem impossible sometimes, but for the grace of God. But for the grace of God, freedom, this glorious freedom from this supermax prison of sinful ways of the world that, that we are fed and taught throughout our week, it would be impossible. Jesus not only proclaims the middle and narrow way, but he also lives it. He lives it faithfully and he's killed for it. He lives it faithfully even unto death. He isn't passive in the face of death, but he also isn't violent. He instead turns the other cheek. He gives up his clothes naked, taking our sin and shame. He is hung on the cross. Unfortunately, the way of the world had such a grip 
on some people that even a naked Savior, a peaceful man on a cross was not enough to shame them and change them. But for many who look to the cross, who look to Jesus and see what the world does to people, transformation takes place. That's what salvation is all about. That's what the way of Jesus is all about. That's why salvation is through Jesus. We're going to sing one last song as the praise team comes. The song is, Change My Heart, O God. And the hope is, is that when we truly encounter the crucified and raised Christ, that, that the shame that, that we face when we realize our own sin, when we look in the face of our own sin, that we will be transformed. And that we will be empowered to live in a world not passively accepting violence in the world, but standing up to it, facing it. And so we're going to sing this final song, Change My Heart, O God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God. May I be like you. Be merciful, O oh God. Let's sing together.